eventually this person who's amazing at sales, they are, they are maxed out. So the growth of the company now is limited by this person because we had a savant doing this for the entire history of the company. There was no system. There was no training program because this person did it all. They were great at it. We didn't need to put in the system. Sales was never a frustration or a bottleneck until now. And now we've grown. We have no sales system, have no training program. We have no, no way of scaling this. So it becomes a barrier to growth. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. My name is Molly Nolan, today's episode host, joined by Colin Nolan, senior business coach here at NCG, for a really interesting discussion on the barriers to scalability and growth. At NCG, we work with clients for a variety of reasons and challenges, growth plateaus, succession planning needs, owner technician trying to get out of the hourglass, organizational system development, and more. So when it comes to this particular topic of scalability and growth and giving high praise to Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up, we are all over it. Today, Colin highlights three barriers to growth most identified by companies struggling to scale. Business is complex. Growth creates even more of it. Our goal is to help businesses identify these roadblocks in their own organization, should growth be the goal, and provide some insight to change. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. All right, Colin, let's get into it. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm excited to talk about some barriers. Some barriers to growth. Yeah, so Colin and I were chatting the other day. Um, he had just had a a meeting with his scaling partners, Mastermind Group. Uh, we do several Mastermind Groups here at Nolan Consulting Group. Um, the Scaling Up Group focuses on the obvious. These are companies that are looking to scale and growth. Um, you know, we here work with clients at NCG in a variety of ways, scalability, succession planning, building a company for value, getting out of the hourglass. So it's fun when we can kind of really deep dive into certain areas, especially from a mastermind perspective. So uh, today we're going to talk about the three barriers to growth. And I think that's going to pique some interest of our listeners because I know a lot of uh, clients out there, a lot of listeners are companies that are looking to grow. And the book Scaling Up by Vern Harnish is one that we visit often here at Nolan Consulting Group. And I know, Kyle, your mastermind group recently studied or or went through Scaling Up, correct? Yeah, we're starting to, it's, a, it's quite a big book. It's not like a normal book that we would read for a book club. It is a textbook. Um, so if you've read the book Scaling Up and you know it's, it's a textbook and it's not something that you read and put, put down and you know, you go, I got it. Uh, there are so many things in it. There's so much content um, that it needs to become the way you would use a textbook in school. It's, you constantly refer back to it to highlight certain chapters. Um, so it's it's quite the book. So we we took a look at the first section of the book, The Barriers. And, you know, you think about why, you know, most people who start a business, they want to grow. They want to grow the business. They want to scale it. And there's, in, in the book, they say there's roughly 28 million firms in the U.S., which only 4% ever reach more than a million dollars in revenue. Wow. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you've done over a million dollars in revenue, you are the 4%, right? Bravo. 
And of those firms, only about 10 or 0.4% of all companies ever make it to the $10 million in revenue mark. Um, 17,000 companies surpass the 50 million mark. And then there's 2,500 firms, companies in the US that are larger than 500 million. So it's very hard uh, to scale and to grow. And what's, why is that? It turns out that there's, there's uh, some pretty easy explanation for why it's difficult to grow. The biggest of which is complexity. When you grow, everything gets more complex. It's like, I'm about, I'm about to have my, my first child here. It's going to add some complexity to my life. Yeah, right? it is. Then you add a second <laughs> child and it adds even more complexity to your life. That's an additional schedule. That's an additional mouth to feed. That's someone who has their own emotions, their own thoughts, right? And then as you grow and you add more kids, it gets more and more complex. You have to align schedules. You have to take care of each individual's kid's needs. So complexity adds. Now in, in business, when, when someone starts a company, it's just the founder and typically one other person, right? It's you and you make your first hire. There's just two of you. There's only two channels of communication. There's you to them and them to you. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. When you add a third person, the team grows by 33%, yet complexity increases 400%. Because now there are six different channels instead of just two. And then when you add a fourth person, you grow again by one more person, 25%. But now there are 24 potential channels of communication. Me to you, you to me, you to them, them to you, you to the next person, the next person to you, me to the other person. So me and two other people at the same time. So these, this basically what the book is saying is it boils it down to this complexity generates three fundamental barriers to scaling, which is leadership, scalable infrastructure, and market dynamics. It's interesting. I never thought about, Colin, you just kind of saying how adding one person, even though it just feels like one person, how much that impacts communication channels because within the organization and hiring two people at a time. I mean, as much as you need those roles, you have to be aware of the impact that it has on how the company operates. Right. How is this, how's the addition of this person going to yeah. change the culture? How is it going to change the relationships? Maybe I'm, I mean, this is even more pronounced when you're hiring someone in a leadership position where people who used to be directly reporting into you are now directly reporting into somebody else who that person is now reporting into you. So there are relationships that were built and existed that now are going to completely change, right? I can't, I can't go to this person the way I normally would and give direction because I'm skipping a step. I'm, I'm usurping authority in the person I just hired who I'm tasking with leading this team. So I have to step back. So there's more complexity there. And now how do I manage, you know, someone who's in the level three, level four stages from uh, hiring talent, right? The levels of work, mm-hmm. you got to manage them differently. So as you grow and as you hire people, it's it's the complexity and adding of things that creates really it's really what stops people. It's the barriers for letting people grow. Yeah, it gets hard. It gets it gets right. really challenging. Right. Um, so obviously, growth scalability it's complex. It, it impacts a, the whole the whole 
cycle of the business. So you mentioned within that complexity, there's three primary areas, leadership, scalable infrastructure, and market dynamics. Today, we're going to focus more so on the leadership component. We'll hit a little bit on scalability and market dynamics, but we mostly want to focus on the people, which I would argue, please correct me if I'm wrong, are often the most complex. Right, right. Every As we just talked about in the Love and Work uh, podcast on that book, which definitely go listen to it if you haven't already. Every person is unique. Every person is different. They all have their own red threads, right? So mm-hmm. people can't be managed as if they're tasks. You got to manage them like they're people. Um, yeah, so the book has the, those, those three as the three barriers. And inside a leadership, they identify, this is Bernd Harnish as, as the author, um, they identify prediction, delegation, and repetition as the three areas where leaders either stop doing those well, they never do them well at all, um, and, and that obviously not doing those well, not doing them at all, causes you causes an inability to scale. So the first one to talk about would be prediction. How well is your company and your management team, people who make the decisions well at prediction? So Molly, if you're to predict anything in life, yep. right? Well, you're predicting the outcome of let's let's take sports, right? A lot, a lot of people are sports fans. Who do you think would be the most accurate predictor of let's say the week one of the NFL? Who's who, who in the entire world? Every human you could pick any human here. Who would you go to and go? This person likely has an idea, uh, or has the best idea of what's going to happen in week one. I mean, if I had to ask someone, no. Let's lie, talk about. I- I'd ask you. Particular game. Sure. All right. So why would you say me? Because you know so much sports data. It's insane. Why, you, why, why is that? I mean, you've known sports data since you were a young kid. You were passionate about it. You loved it. I mean, I remember mom used to say, I wish he knew his school stuff like he knows his sports because you could just whip out any fact at any point in time about any team, player, trade that was happening but when it came to English and your spelling test, like not so much. Sure. But, but so, but so you're passionate. You, you maybe took the time more to know about it. Taking the time, more exposure to that world. Right. Mm-hmm. I would read interviews. I would look at stats. I'm exposed to it. I'm getting as much experience as I can by being some, you know, 12 year old boy growing up in Maine, whatever it was. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I were a betting man, and I am a betting man, and I w- could ask one person who was going to win the Giants uh, versus the Titans game in week one of the NFL season, and I could pick anyone in the world, I would likely pick someone that is at those practices right now happening with the Giants. I might pick maybe the head coach of the Giants and get his honest opinion and go, between you and me, how is your team going to fare? Because he has the most exposure. He's mm-hmm. there. He's seeing everything. He's hearing the teams in practice. He's watching the tape. He's the most exposed. So the people who are best at prediction, this is a long arc, but we're getting to it. People who are best at prediction are the ones who are the most exposed to the current landscape. People who are most exposed to your competitors, to your frontline employees, to your customers, to your good customers and your bad customers. You're living it. You're, it's, it's when people say, I, I use my gut to make decisions. 
Well, your gut is typically based off of your experience and your frontline experience in that world. When you're a smaller organization, you have no choice, but you are the frontline oftentimes, right? So of course you're getting a good gut feel for things. You know when to increase the price or decrease the price or to change how you charge for this material because you're the one who's buying the material. You're the one who's selling to the customer. You're there, you're seeing their expressions when they're telling you your price is too high or you're there when they're not saying anything about your price which might mean your price is too low. So you're able to quickly change and adapt on the fly because you're there experiencing it. Right. As organizations grow, and now I'm managing a team of managers who I have a sales manager, I have an operations manager, I have a finance, director of finance. I'm no longer as exposed. I'm trusting people below me who are then trusting people below me, who are trusting people below them to relay information all the way up. Oftentimes, not the most effective way. Right. Obviously, you want them to be good at relaying information up, chain of command up, chain of command down, but nothing substitutes being on the front line. So, more or less, scaling up the book says 80%, ideally, 80% of the work that you do should be in market facing activities, or else you're losing a grip in some way. Now, 80% is pretty high. It's happy to be 80, probably not. But I would argue that many of our clients don't do enough customer or market-facing activities. So what does this, this look like? This looks like when you're go shopping your competitors, right? You're getting a feel in real time. How are they selling? What's their pricing? Who are we going up against? When you're doing site visits, that's market-facing. When you're calling past customers who turn in report cards, whether they're good or bad, that's market facing. When you're doing a ride along with a sales rep or with or with a foreman of anything like that, that's customer facing. So people lose sight of all those things as they scale. They don't do enough of it. So that's kind of rule number one with prediction to be good at predicting. When you're good at predicting, you're easy, it's easier to scale and you do that through market facing. So does it make sense? Or is the recommendation to be allocating some of your time in the week to be doing that? Like, right. You know, How intentional are you around it? Don't let it happen by accident. A lot of people might say that they do a good amount of this, but it might be accidental or necessary for their role, right? Are, are you purposefully arriving early to, to your shop so that you can mingle with your employees who are there before they go out and work for the day? Are you purposefully going to your different office locations, the one in a different state or across town, just, just to hang out and observe and be with them and listen, right? Make it a purposeful activity. Are you purposefully calling customers or are you just doing it when someone calls you and says, I need, I have a complaint, I need to talk to someone, right? So that I think that that intentionality and that makes it purposeful. And then you're ultimately thinking about what you have just done or seen in a different way, other than when you're doing it accidentally, right? Correct. All right. So let's talk about delegation. Right. So delegation is, is the next one in under leadership. So delegation might be the most, you know, overspoken about activity when it comes to growing, getting out of the hourglass. You, you need to delegate and elevate, right? But too often times what people do is they delegate and abdicate. I have passed something off. Now, at least I, I'm guilty of this, where... I call it my mental ram, right? Where I finally, I've passed something off to somebody else. I can clear it from my mental ram. It's no longer taking up headspace. 
I'm not thinking about it anymore. It's great. I, I told this person to do it. It's no longer on, on my, my mental plate. And I have heard you say that before to me too. You need it off of your, you need it out of your mental RAM. Correct. My mental and RAM. And I'll be like, Colin, I, I own it. Big. I have it. Take it off of your RAM. Right. So that works when you have a team of high functioning people. Um, and it's a smaller team as well, uh, where you know everyone a lot better, um, where they follow through, they do exactly what they're supposed to do. But that doesn't always happen, right? I mean, the book talks about how there are all these MBA programs out there that make people great business executives, but not a single one offers a course on how to delegate, yet it's likely the most important skill of a leader uh, that they have to do. They have to know when to delegate, when not to delegate, and how to do it well. Um, so the book highlights four key components of delegation. Number one is pinpointing what the person or team needs to accomplish, right? Being extremely specific, going back to SMART goals, is it extremely clear what win or loss looks like? Like, what does a good job look like? What does a bad job look like? Is that clear? Do you know what success is? And do you have a time frame for when you need to get it done by? Are both of those things clear, right? I may have delegated something to someone. Heck, I do this all the time. I delegate something to someone, and two weeks later, I wonder what happened with it. Well. Is it done yet? I don't know. I never gave them a, them a timeline. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So give, give them clear win loss, give them a timeline. Number two is you're creating a measurement system for monitoring progress. How are you quantifying or qualifying it? Is there a way of doing that? Right. So easiest example of this is, you know, I'm delegating going on this estimate to an employee, oftentimes a sales rep, their win or loss percentage is how we're, we're quantifying that metric, right? So mm -hmm. are you creating a measurement system for it? That's the best practice. That, that's a key component. Number three, and these last two are so obvious, but like they don't get done. Number three is providing feedback to the team or the person. Here's how that went. In my opinion, here's how that went. Here's what you could have done better, right? So often we freaking delegate and then we say they didn't do it. I can't trust anyone. I'll do it my, myself because we didn't give them the time to improve or we didn't tell them what they needed to do to improve. And we end up then keeping everything close to the vest. People say they want to delegate, but they say they can't because they don't get things done the right way. What is your feedback system like? How well are you training them? How well are you developing them? Probably not well enough. And the fourth is giving appropriately timed recognition and re reward, because as the book says, we're dealing with people and not machines here, right? If the, if the, the flowers grow towards the sun, you need to be the sun, right? If people are doing behaviors that are positive, show them the light, these are great behaviors, even if it seems like something simple. Hey, last week when I gave you that task, completing this for me, I really appreciated how quickly you got that done and how well you did it, that was awesome. A little goes a long way in that regard. And something from um, uh, Gallup's 12 engagement questions, right? These are 12 questions that you can ask to determine if someone's engaged. One of the questions is, I have been given praise uh, or positive, I've been given positive feedback within the last seven days, right? Positive feedback only lasts for seven days. So are you doing it enough? Likely not. Um, but a, a large issue with, with, with delegation is just that people say they want to do it and they don't. Why don't they want to do it? Um, 
likely they're, they're, they have a hard time giving up roles or tasks that they've done for so long that they've really intertwined with their, with their personality and who they are. I do sale. That's what I do. I sell for my company. I can't give that up. I, that's so that's a part of who I am. I'm, I'm a sales guy. I love doing sales for the company. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to lose touch with, with the customer if I give up sales. Well, if 80% of your role is, is market facing, then you won't. There's other ways to get that customer facing interaction. Right. Um, you're using, you're, you're mistaking a tool with, with, with an overall goal or solution. Um, so do, do you really, do you really want to give something up? And then are you even delegating the right way? Um, is it, is it, are you following any of these key components? I can think that, so when it comes to delegation, most people will say, you know, delegate where you're weak, where you're, you know, focus on your strengths, delegate things that you're weak at, hire right. people who are I, smarter I, I than you. To, I get to delegate things I hate, right? Right. But you also, I would assume, have to start to delegate things that you're also good at because you also can't do everything as you grow. So speak to that a little bit. How how are how should leaders be delegating their yeah, strengths? This was this was a major takeaway from um, with the book. It's that if if the what that their, their strengths of the president, the CEO, the owner, whoever started the company, their strengths end up becoming the company's weaknesses, which is weird to think about. Why would that happen? Yeah. What they're strong at. So let's take let's take a, a company where the owner is like phenomenal at sales. They are the, the perfect disc profile for sales, high D, high I. They love it. They know everybody, everyone loves them, that they're a relationship person. So that is likely one of the catalysts for why they, they grew to where they grew to. That's really helpful when you're starting out. It's helpful when you're at 1 million, it's helpful when you're at 2 million. But eventually everyone hits a capacity. Eventually this person who's amazing at sales, literally physically can't sell any more than they are. They are, they are maxed out. So the growth of the company now is limited by this person because now I can't, we can't scale and grow more unless somebody else does this. So then you go to try and delegate this and bring other people on to, to do this activity, in this case, sales. And it's really hard because we had a savant doing this for the entire history of the company where there was no system. There was no training program because this person did it all. They were great at it. We didn't need to put in the system. You typically put in systems when you're young for things that are failing, uh, things that aren't getting done well, uh, or for areas with that, that are causing frustrations and bottlenecks. Sales was never a frustration or a bottleneck until now. And now we've grown. We have no sales system. Uh, we have no training program. We have no, no way of scaling this. So it becomes a barrier to growth. So if someone is growing a company and they want to get past the 10 million mark and beyond, at some point they need to think about how am I going to delegate what I view myself as what I'm strongest at, right? If I'm great at visioning and planning or creating content for our company, then at some point I have to delegate that because that's going to limit us because I'm literally forcing myself in that hourglass mm -hmm. where I'm the only one that can do it. I don't trust anybody else to do it because no one's even done it before because I've taken it all for me because I've been the best at it. So it becomes a limiting factor in your growth. I think this is the biggest takeaway for me, at least so far in this conversation, because it's it's not always what you, what you think it is. I mean, it's 
I think we're so in tune to delegate, delegate where you're weak, delegate where you're weak, but for growth, for scalability, you must also delegate where you're strong. It's a really, really big takeaway. And that's, that's tends to be the case where people don't want to really delegate it because I love doing this. Why would I delegate it? Right. Yeah. And going back to what you said, if, if that's how they identify themselves, I mean, that identity role, that's it. I mean, that's a whole other layer, right? Pull, Mm -hmm. pull the, you know, the onion back. I mean, that's, it gets probably pretty vulnerable when they're, when you feel like they're, when they feel like they're, there are things that they love to do are being taken away from them. So what's their purpose in the business anymore? There's so much purpose. There's so much more that that they need to be doing in in that CEO position, um, which we have a whole podcast on the role of the CEO with Brian. You should check that out. Um, But no, Kyle, this is is really good one. You actually, you told me a quote and it said, to get to 10 employees, they must Mm -hmm. delegate activities that they are weak. To get to 50 employees, they must delegate activities in which they are strong. Right. That that's right from the book, scaling up. So quoted from the book. So if if this hits home to you and you're recognizing that why you're plateauing in a certain area, and it's because you haven't delegated some areas of strengths, this is this is a golden nugget. Right. And to be to be clear here, right? So diff, depending on the type of work you're in, the business you're in, 10 employees and 50 employees could be a variety of different revenue levels, right? Because one, one employee could equal 100,000 in revenue per year, or one employee could generate 250,000 in revenue per year. So uh, it, it could be at, at very different sizes where these cases get stuck. Awesome, good, good direction. All right, let's move into the third component within leadership. Yes, so this one is repetition. This is something that we've always preached and done, and it makes a lot more sense after reading this book because I gave some really great examples um, for why this is so important. So when it comes to rep- repetition, the leaders need to be constantly reinforcing the core values of the company, which the book says it's a handful of rules defining the culture, the core purpose of the company, right? What, what are we really doing here? The BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, the 10 to 25-year goals, where are we going ultimately? What's, what does ultimate success look like? And then, boiling that down further, the priorities and themes, which are typically in a shorter timeline. What's the priority or theme of this year? What are we all rallying behind for this year? So that's great. A lot of times, or a lot of people listening to this likely have heard all that before. I know it's important to reinforce core values, right? But is it all, is it also we could sing kumbaya around a fire pit, or is there a real reason here? So the book laid this out in a really great way. So in certain, uh, certain species, right? So like, let's take bees and ants, right? There, there's okay. like a queen that's directing everything. Queen bee. Queen bee. Um, they are the ones making all the, the decisions typically. Mm-hmm. It gets seamlessly communicated throughout the entire hive. It's like, it's the hive mind, right? So Molly, I know you're a massive fan of Stranger Things. And we're, Love we're, it. We're going to do a, a separate podcast series breaking down each episode of Stranger Things. Um, so the other side, which Molly has no idea what that means because she's not a fan of Stranger Things. No, I'm really not. <laughs> uh, uh, the, oh, sorry, the, the upside down, um, there's, there's, that's basically it. There's a hive mind in the upside down where if you touch one thing in the upside down, the whole upside down knows. 
So Stranger Things fans, they'll you'll know what I mean there. Let me clarify. Um, it's not that I dislike Stranger Fan Stranger Things. I don't want any, any fans to get upset with me. I just haven't really watched the show. So there's still hope for me. Yeah, it's 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 one of the great tragedies you haven't given that show a chance. Okay, maybe um, next, maybe next week. So, so hive mind. The hive mind makes that allows for decisions to be made at the top and seamlessly communicated throughout where everyone instantly knows oftentimes through smell um what what's what's going on there's an intruder around we need to be working on this right um your companies are not hive minds where communication happens seamlessly where one person is making a decision and everyone knows instantly or it can be passed down relatively quickly you need to develop people middle managers higher level managers to becoming great decision makers. And they have to make decisions every single day the same way everybody else is, same way you are, the CEO or president of the company, right? You want them making decisions the way you would make them if you were there. How do you make your decisions? You make your decisions based off of the core values of the company, the purpose of the company, where you want to be in 10 to 25 years, so that there'll be hags, and the priorities and themes that, are, that currently exist in the next one to three years. So we need to create decision makers that are taking all this into context at every level throughout the company so that we're all making decisions the same way and the right way. I mean, that speaks to our cascading leadership, Kyle. I go. mean, we want every employee in the company to have a line of sight to the vision so that they can be making decisions in their day-to-day -day based upon what the direction of the vision of the company, right? Right. So hive mind in in almost in our sense is cascading leadership. There you go. That that that's our solution to not not all being able to know what everyone's thinking based off of how they smell, right? <laughs> that would maybe uh, be not a great thing. That'd be fun for like like a day. Like yeah, a day. It'll get a little old. Uh, so this is why you have to constantly, constantly, constantly reinforce specific messaging. You have to you have to over communicate ten x what you think you normally have to. It's so obvious to you. The core values are so obvious to you. Well, because it matters to you. It's you likely had a hand in making them, right? So it's not as obvious to other people. You need to constantly communicate the key messaging and metrics down to people so that they can use them in making their decisions. So that's the third one, repetition. So prediction, delegation, repetition. All, so components, getting, all components of leadership. Getting great at those three things should help you to blow past the leadership barrier when it comes to scaling. And let's be clear, these require practice, right? I mean, this is going to be constant practice to think about how you are approaching these different areas. This does not also change overnight, but I think it with, with constant awareness of it, I mean, you can probably see pretty great impact after after some consistency. Right. Yeah, it's it's just because you did, you delegated some things and it didn't get done well the first time you did it, doesn't mean you should stop delegating. It means that something about it didn't go well and you figure out what that was. All right. So the majority of what we spoke about today was you know, within that leadership component, but let's right. hit really you know, briefly on the scalable infrastructure and then the marketing dynamics to wrap us right. up. So just kind of, yeah, put a bow on the barriers chapter. We'll talk about the other two quickly. So scalable infrastructure is likely a little more common that people think about and barriers of scaling, right? So um, the way you were estimating and invoicing when you were a million dollars 
likely can't be the way you're, you're estimating and invoicing when you're at $10 million, right? Um, this, for example, if you launch a second, a second or third division, different kind of work, do you invoice the same way? Do you estimate the same way? So are you picking the right systems that scale with you is one. Are you identifying when systems have hit their max? And are you accurately identifying the next best system for your company and what problem is going to solve? So this is definitely a world that we live in a lot, right? We help people implement mm -hmm. systems. So it's something that we're not foreign to, um, but not correctly scaling your infrastructure, um, your facilities, your softwares, um, your assets, right? It's going to lead to barriers to growth. So be, being able to overcome those. Um, the book said, the book, just to give the examples from there, when you go from two employees to 10 employees, you need better phone systems, right? Because I'm at two employees, I'm answering the phones and customers call this company, I'm the one picking up, I'm the owner. That doesn't work at 10 employees. We're getting too many phone calls. I can't answer all of them. So we need a new phone system. It's a very simple um, example for mm -hmm. scalable infrastructure. Um, then as you grow, you will need a phone tree. And then as you grow, totally. you need other methods of communication, text communication, email communication, contact forms. Right. And there are different, the, the book identifies different plateaus, right? So from 50 to 350 employees, your IT systems likely need to be upgraded and then integrated, which is maybe the harder part there is integrate. How do all of our softwares talk to each other? Um, and then above that, it's revamping. So it, it can go on and on. Um, and it's obviously an easier understood than done uh, barrier, I would say. I mean, think about scheduling. If you're, you know, on the smaller side, you're maybe scheduling off of a whiteboard, but then you need to get digital. You Maybe you move to Google Calendar and then you move to Smartsheets if that's a program that you use, but you're constantly you know, elevating the things that you're using. And I mean, we see this, you're right. We see this all the time. We will work with the company and get them to a certain revenue size, let's say 3 million and things are great, but all of a sudden there's new problems. There's new challenges. It's a new plateau. We need new infrastructure. So I think being, being aware of that and being, and knowing that something that you have now might need to be revamped in two years, three mm -hmm. years. That's a just having that awareness of that when the road kind of when you finally hit that hit that fork in the road, you were expecting it. You budgeted right. for it. Having having the, the foresight, right? Which through prediction, you spend you spend more time with your frontline people who are answering the phones. Maybe you're better able to predict when you need that new system. Totally so love when we can connect the connect the two full circle there. Yeah. All right, let's move into, um, lastly, marketing dynamics. So market, market, market dynamics. dynamics. Yes. Um, so this, this barrier is about how we interact with market and how the market interacts with us. It talks about how as you scale and grow, a lot of times um, we think that there are economies of scale that will work to our benefit. In some cases there are, but there are also a our, our customers are hoping for economy of scale. So the more we do work with a certain customer, the more of a discount they're going to ask for when we do that work, which is going to cut into our margins. Um, it also talks about how as, as firms scale, for example, from 1 million to, two, to 10 million, there tends to be a focus on 
amassing new business on revenue, on sales, right? Because we're still trying to, to launch ourselves, prove, prove a concept. When in reality, scaling up argues that that's, this is when you should be spending more time internally establishing healthy organizational habits and scalable infrastructure, which would pay off in the long term. Um, and there are actually a couple of companies on scaling up that actually um, commented on this and said that this was similar to what happened to us. By the time we hit a certain threshold, getting work wasn't the problem anymore. Mm-hmm. We had scaled too quickly. We were on our revenue internally. We weren't ready or prepared for it yet. Um, as the business scales past 10 million, we, we tend to then look internally and go and put out those fires. And that's what happens with the senior team. They start looking internally and putting out people problems um, or system problems, but that's when they should be looking externally and looking at the marketplace um, and focusing on, on uh, competitive pressures that come with, with size. So diverting your attention in the right places as you scale and being aware of what's happening in, in the market at the same time um, is really the third barrier that they have here. Um, but I, I would argue that, uh, the, like we said, talked about earlier, it's the people section where most people on this call could take some notes from. I agree. I mean, primarily because people are complex in themselves and growth is complex. So you're, you're putting together two complex um, things together. And so it deserves attention. It needs attention. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, the focus of this particular episode is to just highlight these barriers, kind of make them feel real, get some good takeaways and help identify, you know, some maybe golden nuggets like we did, or just some lessons that, that these roadblocks um, occur and are occurring and be ready to identify them within your own business. Mm-hmm. Because I would, you know, I'd bet a, a good, a good, I'm not a betting person, but I would bet in this instance that there are things that call you just spoke to that many people are, are identifying with and recognizing. Likely one more than most, right? I'm sure Mm -hmm. something jumped out. Likely there's one major barrier from what we talked about that is drawing your attention, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, And that's the goal, is to be able to identify these areas where you maybe are um, facing some challenges and how can you put energy kind of in that that direction. Well, well, Kyle, thank you so much. This was a really great learning episode for me as most podcasts are um it'd be great to kind of hear in the future you know with your your mastermind scaling up what impact these discussions have um, on those businesses so maybe we can revisit that in the future absolutely yeah thank you until next time thanks so much everyone thanks for listening to this episode out of the hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at nolan consulting group a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.